Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, first, I'd just like to say a happy 4th of July to all of you. It's important as citizens of this country that we always pray for our leaders, pray for our country, even if we don't necessarily agree with the direction that it's going in. We have to understand our place in the country as citizens both of the country and of the kingdom of heaven. And that's important and something that we as Christians have always done since the very beginning. I was sharing with the youth on Friday an important early church document called uh, the Letter to Diognetus. The Letter to Diognetus. And this early church, doctrine, uh, early church document speaks about how the Christian ought to be in the world. And so we... In this, uh, in this state, in this country, we have to understand that because of good people who have started and, and, and laid the foundation for this country, we have the ability to pray, we have the ability to worship, we have the ability to thrive. Of course, there are some that might say this is not necessarily a good thing because the Christians usually thrive under persecution and when things are a bit more difficult, nevertheless, our place in this country as citizens is not just to reap the benefits of this country, but to also uh, make sure that we are doing our best to improve it, uh, to give back to it, to be somebody who is not just a taker, but a giver. And at the very least, we can do that through our prayers, if not more. I told you on, on Memorial Day, I think the real sign of an, of an immigrant church is when the uh, people, the children of the immigrants begin to become the police officers and the soldiers and the uh, even, even I dare say the politicians, but the people that will, that will be responsible for the decisions um, uh, and the people that take pride in their, in their country. Uh, so I encourage all of you on this day to also uh, not just uh, think about barbecues and fireworks, but also how we ought to be in this world and in this country of ours. And it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. Uh, sometimes the greatest, uh, they say the greatest patriotism that we can show our country is dissent. Um, but we have to understand that we can't hate our country in the meantime. We have to love the country and we have to, as much as possible, understand our place in it. And I found the place in this letter of Diognetus. He says, Let's sum it, I'll sum it up in one word. He says, what the soul is in the body, that is, that is how Christians ought to be in the world. The soul is dispersed throughout all the members of the body, and Christians are scattered throughout all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, yet is not of the body, and Christians dwell in the world, yet are not of the world. The invisible soul is guarded by the visible body, and the Christians are known indeed to be in the world, but their godliness remains invisible. The flesh hates the soul and wars against it, though itself suffers no injury, because it is prevented from, from enjoying pleasures. The world also hates the Christians, though in no wise injured, because they abjure pleasures. The soul loves the flesh that hates it, and loves also the members. I hope you understand that the soul loves the flesh uh, and uh, that even though the flesh hates the soul 
and Christians likewise love those that hate them. The soul is imprisoned in the body, yet preserves that very body. And the Christians are confined in the world as in a prison, and yet they are the preservers of the world through the prayers and through the actions. The immortal soul dwells in a mortal tabernacle, and Christians dwell as sojourners in corruptible bodies, looking for an incorruptible dwelling in the heavens. The soul, when it is ill provided with food and drink, becomes better. And in like manner, Christians, though subjected day by day to punishment, increase the more in number. God has assigned them this beautiful and illustrious position, which um, it, would, it is unlawful for them to forsake. Just something small to meditate on this 4th of July. Today's gospel, which speaks about loving our enemies and the way that we deal with others, seems always, of course, a great idea in practice or in theory, but difficult to practice. Um, one of, uh, before I start, this, this sermon mainly is taken from a book, which is a beautiful book written by um, a woman. Her name is Roberta Bondi, and the book is called To Pray and to Love, uh, published uh, by Fortress Press. Hopefully we'll get copies of this book in our bookstore soon. So most of this is taken from her beautiful uh, chapter on loving uh, our neighbor. She points out, and, and we know this from the writings of St. Anthony, she says that in the writings of St. Anthony, our life and our death is with our neighbor. If we gain our brother and our sister, we have gained God, but if we scandalize our brother and our sister, we have sinned against Christ. We cannot love God fully. We cannot love God completely without loving our neighbor fully and loving our neighbor completely, and that includes our enemies. We have to understand that when we grow in love, it's not automatic. In fact, according to the monks, the monastics of our, of our tradition, in order to love fully, we have to learn... Um, we, or we have to recognize within ourselves that we have patterns that, that are not loving when it comes to others. Patterns in this world, patterns that we've learned from just being in society, patterns of how we must dominate, how we must never be submissive, how we must never be passive, and how we must sometimes use violence. It's not always a Christian culture and so we have come to believe that the way things are are per perhaps even the way that God wants these things to be. But what we find is that our society does not feed us or, or allow us to grow in this virtue of love, of love for one another, of love for each other. Especially now, things are so divisive and things are so individualistic that I don't care what you think I don't care what you do I don't care about you I care only about me uh, for example uh, recently this I, I don't know the full story but I'm sure you all know um, I'm not going to go <laughs> I'm going to back up so when we understand Christian virtues that Christian virtues are in exact opposition to what this world wants out of us. Exact 
opposition to things like competitiveness, like I said, rugged individualism, envy, a pride that doesn't ever admit fault, the need even to get even with somebody else. Even as Christians here, we sometimes even use elements in the Coptic Orthodox Church and we become competitive in those elements. We become individualistic. We become judgmental. This is better than that. He's doing it better than that person. We're doing it better than they're doing it. And, and so on and so forth. If these are your thoughts, we have to know or you have to realize that Christian virtue is not on that path. St. Anthony also said, whoever hammers out a lump of iron first decides what he's going to make it into. Going to make it into an axe, going to make it into a plow. You don't just start pounding on the, on the iron without knowing the direction. He says, even so, we ought to make up our minds what kind of virtue we want to forge and what are we going to labor for, otherwise our labor is in vain. And we have to labor to learn to love. We have to labor to grow in virtue. In order to grow in love, we have to make choices about what kinds of patterns, even I'll say what kinds of habits we want to develop so that we can grow into those virtues. There's a habit I'll share with you that I do. It's a habit. I say to my wife every night, I love you. Do I say it out of habit? Yes. Do I mean it? Sometimes. No, no, I, 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 I always mean it. However, that is such an important habit to grow in that life of love, to grow in that, in that relationship of love. These are habits that we develop. Things where we say, no matter what somebody says to me, I will not respond. I will not lower myself to respond in a way that's unchristian. That's not becoming of who I am. And then we have to ask, who is my neighbor? Christ, of course, you have Christ who answered that with the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But when you read the writings and the sayings of the monks and the nuns of our, of our church, and why I love this book so much, is because she pulls from all the Coptic uh, um, fathers and mothers. And she says, when you read the monks and the nuns and the stories about them, the neighbors for them were the emperor, the pagan priests. <laughs> we, we just celebrated St. Moses, the, the Blacks uh, feast this last week. The thieves were his neighbor, you know, like he was one of those guys that, oh, he was helping them take the stuff that they were trying to, to rob him of. The, also, they cared for unwed, pregnant, you know, slave girls. They, I mean, this is like, you know, the, when you think about uh, the society and the class, this was the lowest of them. And they would care for these people. They treated all and they offered to everyone compassion and forgiveness, and healing, and love, and advice, and help according to their abilities. They offered to us an example of how we can really grow in real love, and in true love, not only for our enemies, but especially in our friendships, our marriages, our families, our church, our neighborhoods, our communities. Because if we cannot learn to love our neighbor it's going to be impossible for us to love our enemies. And Christ is teaching us that this is the direction we have to go in. 
So it's a process, and it's a process that I have to be willing to be patient, but also to struggle. And there's a beautiful story about uh, an anxious monk. He, this, this, anxious, this anxious hermit, so he, hermit, he's, a, he's practicing celibacy, he's practicing poverty, he's practicing prayer, he's practicing all this stuff, so, but he's a hermit, he's anxious. And he goes to um, a Saint Theodore of Fermain. And he told him, and, and he says, and he told him about his anxiety. And so Theodore said to him, humble yourself, put yourself in obedience to someone, go live with others. Don't be a hermit, don't be alone by yourself. So the hermit went to the mountain, went, went to a mountain, and there he lived with a community. And then he returned to Theodore and he said, now, even when I live among other men, I don't find rest. So Theodore replied, if you're not at rest as a hermit, and if you're not um, in, at rest in a community, why did you even become a monk? Wasn't it in order to suffer? Wasn't it in order to persevere in, in virtues? Tell me, how long have you been a monk? And he said, eight years. Theodore said, believe me, I've been a monk for 70 years, And I have not been able to get a single day's peace. Do you expect to have peace only after eight years? This story is beautiful because when we apply it to ourselves, we say, yes, I'm trying to love my neighbor, but I'm failing. I'm trying to love my, my enemies, but I'm failing. I'm trying to do good to others. I'm trying to do that. But every time I try to do it, I fail. And, and we hear, we have a word, believe it or not, of hope. It's something that we continue to do and we continue to struggle and we continue to strive in. And this is essential for our Christian life, never to just say, this is who I am, I'm not going to get any better, this is the best I can do, this is what I can do. And, and, and we neglect to understand the power of the Holy Spirit which is in us, the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to guide us to build these habits of love and to establish love within us. And we know, I hope you know this, that love is not just a warm feeling of emotion that we direct towards another person. If that were love, you know, what credit is that to me, so to speak? Uh, I often tell, um, you know, couples that are in premarital counseling, um, entering into marriage, I say, you know, when I woke up with my son in the middle of the night to give him either a nebulizer or to comfort him, it wasn't because I had a warm, gushy feeling about my son in the middle of the night and I wanted to offer him this love. It was my commitment, and that's love. Love is not about warm emotions, but it's about commitment. And we have to have a particular commitment in how we're going to interact with one another. I'm committed, when I love somebody, I'm committed to acting a certain way. I'm committing to see things in a certain way, to listen in a certain way. I'm committed not to judge. I'm committed not to make fun of. I'm committed not to gossip about, not to be scornful. I'm committed to being patient with. I'm committing to be respectful, helpful, and so on and so forth. Now, in order for us to build these virtues of love, we also have to have other virtues involved. Love comes from prayer which is very difficult, but it's something that we also have to persevere about. When you read the sayings of the desert, um, fathers and mothers, they were always, 
always, always asking for prayers and asking to ask, and others were asking them to pray for them. And they were asking for prayers so that we have this image of the desert in Egypt, just prayers crisscrossing here and there for those for safety and for healing and for victory over the devil and encouragement and, and so on and so forth. This, this builds up love. How could we apply that in our life? How many people are, are you praying for? And how many people have, you asked, have asked you to pray for them? Are you taking that seriously? Is that something that you, you use? And, and, and this is even how we can learn to love our enemies. Because if we're struggling to love somebody that's difficult to love, we're supposed to pray for them. And at the very least, if I find it impossible to pray for this person, I ask others to pray for this person. I ask others to pray for my enemies so that through their prayers, ask, pray for my enemies and to pray for me, so that through their prayers, I can find the ability to love and my enemies will, become, uh, will no longer become my enemies. There's this verse in the Psalms, the first Psalm of the sixth hour. It says, he, the, the psalmist is writing about his enemies and he says, cut my enemies off in your truth. Cut them off in your truth. And Cassiodorus gives a beautiful commentary on that and he says, when I cut my enemy off with the truth of God, he no longer is an enemy. He becomes converted to the truth. He's not, we're not talking about physically slaying them, but slaying their you know, their, their psychology, slaying them internally so that they are converted to the truth and being converted to the truth. They are no longer my enemy, but my neighbor my, or my brother or my sister. Something as small as loving one another uh, or, or something as easy as saying love one another, love your enemies, is, is an incredibly difficult task that we engage in throughout all of our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit with the help of prayer, with the help of another virtue, which is humility. A humility to admit when you're doing something wrong. A humility to, to so for example, humility that, that I accept my weaknesses, but I struggle and I strive as much as possible to improve myself. It's not just being a doormat or letting people walk over you, but a humble person cares about those who are around them cares about the feelings of those who are in touch with them, cares about relationships inside and outside of the church. A humble person is not shocked when another person makes mistakes. A humble person accepts praise without feeling pride. A humble, a humble person admits to doing something wrong without feeling humiliated. This is also important in our relationships and encourages us in our relationship of love for one another. When the fathers of the church were always, were always, you know, in their humility, accepting their own mistakes and never seeing the mistakes of others. Ava Poman, he said, if a man has attained to that which the apostle speaks of, to, be, to the pure, everything is pure. This is St. Paul wrote this in Titus. He sees himself as the least of all, uh, of all, of all creatures. And then when he said that, a brother said to him, how can I see myself less than a murderer? And the old man said, when a, <laughs> when a man has really comprehended this saying, if he sees a man committing a murder, he says, 
he has only committed this one sin, but I commit sins every day. This humility and, and this knowledge is not to, to justify what everybody else does that's wrong, but it's to take away from us that difficult task where we always kind of put ourselves in the shoes of God and we want to judge and we want to condemn and we forget and neglect that we are to judge and condemn ourselves first before we condemn anyone else. We're so quick to judge and we, we, we work on this. We try to, and we get together in groups to figure out who's got the better judgment about things and about how things are going on. And, and, and in our judgment, we neglect the attitude which is Christian towards these issues of prayer, of love, uh, of commitment, commitment to the, these, these things that we see and these things that we are a part of, commitment in a way that we're willing to die until we see the end of this. And when we know ourselves to be sinners and everybody else is better than us, and this is in fact, St. Paul says this, I am chief among sinners. We take this attitude, which is an attitude of humility. Our relationships become pure and holy in our interactions with others. This beautiful story of St. Serapion. St. Saint, Saint Serapion hired a prostitute. This monk in the desert hired a prostitute. And what did he do with this prostitute? He prayed the 150 psalms with her in some portion of the epistles. And when she realized he wasn't there to sin with her, he began to she began to listen and to repent. She lived the rest of her life as a nun, and it was said about her that she lived a life pleasing to God. I'm not saying we have to go and hire prostitutes. I'm not saying that we have to do this in our life. What I'm saying is though, if we could just look at our, our spouses, or if we could look at our, uh, our, our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, if we could look at them in a way, in an attitude of love and prayer and caring for them, then we'll, then we'll be able to ignite and inflame the Holy Spirit within us and within others as well. I started off and I kind of went on a, a, a journey. We started off talking about how our life and our death is with our neighbor. And focusing on these words of Christ who said, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. I want to encourage you that this is not impossible words. These are not impossible things to do, but very possible by those of us who take our life seriously. And why do I say that? Because when we take our life seriously and we understand that this is our duty, then we, then we limit our relationships, we limit our interactions, we understand that I have to love all. And when I am interacting with others, it's not about what I can receive, but my giving to other people. I have to understand that love does not grow automatically. I have to understand who my neighbor is. I have to develop habits of love, habits of, uh, of, of interacting with people in a way not like the world teaches us, but what the scripture is teaching us. Take this period of time, this last week of this Apostles' Fast, to ask God to renew the Holy Spirit within you. Pray for your enemies. And if you can't pray for your enemies, ask others to pray for your enemies. If anyone has asked you to pray for them, pray for them. In this way, love is stirred up within us. And we want to be a community that loves one another 
that knows how to follow the commandments of God, that understands the weaknesses and the shortcomings of others, that, that in this we display that the Holy Spirit is actively working within us. So that God, when He can be glorified by those that see us, God can be glorified through what they see us doing with one another. God can be glorified in all that we do, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, when God, amen. Just a quick story I want to share with you. I was standing by the door yesterday, and a woman from across the street came uh, from the community, and she said, are you an Orthodox church? I said, yes. She said, um, uh, actually, I'll tell you exactly what I said. I was talking to a group of people, and I see a woman coming across the street, and she said, hello, are you an Orthodox church? And I said, uh-oh, and we got to go. And I, I went and I, and I started talking to her. And she says, I am a believer, I am a Christian, and I love Baba Karolos and Abuna Fenus. And, and, and I have to, I, I don't know that much about Abuna Fenus, so I need to go talk to her about Abuna Fenus. I know a little bit, but, but she's, she's, she goes to Calvary Chapel, but she said, Pope Carolos is, uh, has, has helped me many times. I had a friend of mine, he's working somewhere, I, don't, I forget the name, who told me about Pope Carolos. And uh, my husband, who wasn't a believer, had a dream about Pope Carolos without even seeing. Like, like you can't make this up. Uh, and, and I just want to say this to you because I, I'm, I'm confident that we are being called to do things in this community and to be a presence in this community. In a, in a week from uh, this next, no, on July 16th, is the five-year uh, anniversary of this church and the first liturgy. And the first liturgy was prayed in San Juan Capistrano. It wasn't prayed in Laguna Niguel. And here we find ourselves in San Juan Capistrano. Uh, and I, I, I hope you understand that this is a calling. This isn't just business as usual. But we have to ask God to open for us doors that we can we can be a good healing uh, presence in this community. To God be the glory, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and ever, teachable. <laughs>